Welcome to An Amazingly Ordinary Life, the podcast that takes a behind-the-scenes look at the world of special needs. I'm Sherry Tharp, an autism mom and your host. Join me each week as we share our lives, build community, and redefine normal. This is An Amazingly Ordinary Life, episode number 14. Today, I'll be talking with Kelly Warren, who after coming to terms with her son's autism diagnosis, she then had to deal with a traumatic brain injury in her other son. Kelly, thank you so much for joining me on my podcast today. Um, Most people aren't going to know this, but you and I actually go way back. We met in middle school, sixth grade. That's right. It's been a long time. Let's not do the years. Oh, no, 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 no. Well, it's an unknown number of years. Just a few. Yes. Well, why don't you start out with just um, introducing yourself and telling us a little bit about your family and where you're at right now. Well, I'm in Houston, Texas, which is just three hours south of where Sherry is, which is amazing. 25 years and 2,500 miles away. There we go. I have two boys, Nicholas, who is 21, and William, who is 18. Nicholas was diagnosed with autism a form of it called pervasive developmental disorder. And William has a traumatic brain injury, which he incurred almost, yeah, six and a half years ago. They both are high school graduates, got done with that. They're great kids, wonderful young men, very proud of both of them. So you said Nicholas was diagnosed with autism or PDD. Tell me about that. When did you first start noticing that something was different? Well, I have four younger sisters, considerably younger than me. So I knew what to look for with normal development. I've got sisters who are between nine and 12 years younger than me. So I knew what a normal development was, how old they were when they start walking, talking, and that. And Nicholas kind of started out talking at the normal age, nine months. His first word was bye-bye because we were going out for a walk. I said, tell Nana bye-bye. And he goes, bye-bye. And we're all just like, oh, shocked. Um, he talked, you know, mama, dada, nana, papa, bye-bye, hi, you know, things like that. And then round about two, he started forming some sentences, but he stopped picking up more new words. It kind of plateaued out there, and I was a little concerned. So at first, I took him to our family pediatrician, and he said, oh, you're just a nervous new mom. It'll work out. It'll be fine. He's just a little slower than normal. It'll be fine. And he was like a year and a half. And I'm like, but shouldn't he be, stop it. I'm the professional. I know what I'm talking about. You're just being nervous. And then by the time he was two and a half, and he still hadn't progressed any further. And I brought my concerns to his grandmother, my mother-in-law at the time. And I said, look, I know you have kids. I have sisters. I know what normal is. This is not normal. This is not. And so she said, well, what do you want to do? I said, I want to see if something, and we went through MRIs and they said, no, his brain's normal. Everything's functioning fine. He should be developing. And then we found out about a diagnostic testing that was going on because it was right when autism was starting to be much more prevalently diagnosed younger and younger. This was right before the whole, oh, inoculations cause autism, right when it started. And they asked if he was current on his immunizations. I said, yes, well, there's a chance he has autism. And yes, that's been proven wrong. But it's the impetus that got us to get him diagnosed, get him tested for it. And they said he was two and a half, almost three, because I just had his younger brother. And they said he's on the spectrum is how they referred to it. They hadn't had a definitive what version on the spectrum he has. 
they said he's high functioning. There's a very good chance he'll be able to live a normal life. And I'm like, good, great. Now what? And that's when they started with, this is what we need to start doing. He got formally diagnosed when he was almost three. So lucky for us, we got it very, very early on. So, so at that point, what were the next steps after that? We got him into a pre-K, well, pre-pre-K almost. They started doing all the tests to find out what version he had. You, you know what this means, Sherry. They wanted to nail down what type of autism he had, what flavor is how they referred to it as. And so they did all the testing and all that. And then we got him into a pre-K program that was specially for autistic and autism spectrum disorder children. And they had helpers there. And we were basically part of the pilot program. They were training people. This is how this type works. And this is how this type works. They wanted to figure out not only how to teach him, but where his triggers were, what his stimming was, that sort of thing. And how to deal with him having it, how to teach the teachers, this is how you deal with it. So basically, by the time he was about four and a half, they had a pretty good grip on, they were able to explain to me what he had, what his triggers would be, what his soothing behaviors were. And I got to learn what all that meant. And that's when they told me, okay, his version of ASD is pervasive developmental disorder, which means he's going to develop normally in most ways can be a little behind in these ways. So his social behavior is going to be the delayed part. You know, don't look to him to start dating right when he turns 15. Don't expect him to be interested in girls right at the normal time. He's going to be behind on that. But on other things, he is way advanced on. So they were giving me tips on how to do that, how to deal with this what to expect, what not to put him in, what situations he was good in versus which ones would trigger him, which ones would be a problem. So really it was pretty good to get him on that program there. Can't say enough wonderful things about the teachers there. So they were very patient with both us and with Nicholas. Sounds like you got in on a good program at just the right time. Yes. And, and I have to thank my mother-in-law for that. I say she is a very pushy woman, but she, when it came to her grandkids, nothing stopped her. She was like, no, 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 you're going to do this. My grandson deserves to know to be the best he can be. And by golly, she made sure it happened. So yay for her. That's one thing I'll always be grateful to her for is that. It's good to have supportive family and people yeah. that kind of push us to, to do better. Yeah, she was on it. She was like, if Nicholas has a chance for it, she researched anything, anything she found, she was on it. So kind of got contagious. We all caught up in it. So, there we so tell me a little bit about those early days with him. He's got this diagnosis. You said he's stimming. What were his triggers? What did it look like for him um, at that point? For him, loud noises were the worst. Thankfully, we live in the suburbs. But crowds, he couldn't be around large crowds. So at least two people had to be there that he knew and recognized very well in order for him to stay calm. So we didn't go to a lot of movies because the movie theater's dark, loud. If he couldn't see where the sound was coming from, we didn't go. He's very neat and he is probably the tidiest 21 year old you will ever see in the flood. Everything has to be just so it has to be where it's supposed to be and 
the thing that it most manifested itself at was he loves to draw and color. And one afternoon he was coloring with his little brother and William's sitting there coloring an eagle and he colors it purple. And Nicholas just came unglued. He goes, no, no, eagles are brown and white. They're not, and I'm sitting there going, but he's using his imagination in his world. The way I explained it was in William's world, eagles can be purple. And he was fine once he had an explanation for it that made sense to a seven-year-old's brain, I guess. But for him, it has to be just the way he left it. If you go in and move something in his room, he knows it. And that was one of the things, his stimming behavior, his soothing behavior was making sure everything was where it's supposed to be. Repetition. One of the things he used to when he was younger was he'd put his hands in his hair and he'd start pulling on it and just stroking it because it soothed him to have something tactile, something to touch, to smooth him out on it. Eventually it became knowing that something was there, that he, he had a touchstone, something that he could see that was where it was supposed to be. So we, we do that now. We make sure that if we're going somewhere new, he knows he has something when he packs his little bag, if it's somewhere new, we make sure he has something in there that from home, that's his touchstone. And he's using it less and less as he gets older, which is a good thing. But occasionally, I have to remind him, deep breaths. That's the biggest thing with the breathing exercises. Look straight into someone's eyes, which is, as you know, a problem for autistic children. He has yes. to look straight in my eyes. And I say, in, one, two, three. Out, one, two, three. And it makes it much easier now. He still gets it that way when we go to the doctor's office because he spent so much time in so many doctor's offices as a kid, getting shots, getting blood drawn, things like that. Just normal, you know, yearly stuff still sets him off. So we now have one thing where we went to the doctor's office. We had to get blood drawn. He was going on a trip, so we had to get blood drawn for, you know, see if he needed anything. And I basically pulled up his phone, put on an episode of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and literally put his face like this, put my hand along the side of his He couldn't see them drawing the blood. And it was over by the time he asked, are they done yet? It was over. And this was last year. Yeah. So that's been the big thing. Doctors and really loud noises tend to be the thing. But he now has noise-canceling headphones. So if we go somewhere noisy, he can put them on and dial it down. And distraction works amazing on him. (laughs) (laughs) I have to say those noise-canceling headphones are amazing. Blessings to the person who invented them, I'm telling you. Yes, I hope they are rich because Oh, they deserve it. it. They deserve it. How was school for him? How did he do in school? Well, for the first few years, through elementary school, he had an aide with him mm-hmm. for most of his classes. Because like I said, that we got in literally on the ground floor with him doing this program. And the school he went to was one of the pilot programs. So he had an aide who was there with him for when the classes first started, when the newness hits. You know, this is a new class, a new teacher, a new environment. And she'd stay with him, and she let him tell her when he was ready for her to go, or him, depending on, you know, his aid. And eventually, by the time he got to middle school, he was only needing the aid for the beginning parts of school. So by, since class starts in August town here, by October, he was usually setting up in his routine that the aid would only come in and check in on him at the beginning of class or in the middle of class that they're looking at him. Check. She'd come by, you know kind of kneel down say, hey, how you doing? Checking in on him. And it got to be, it was only three times a week she had to check on him. And then just she'd just kind of peek in at the beginning of each class, see how he was doing. 
and just the teachers had her number. So if they needed her to come in because he was, you know, having an issue, she'd come in, but it got to the point where she was just, you know, she was basically just on call in case of something. And by the time he got to high school, he didn't need an aide at all, which, oh, such a moment for me when they called him fifth. We'll still stay on call, but he really doesn't need us anymore. And then when he graduated, not only on time, but with a 4.5 GPA. Wow. From two high schools because he was taking college courses at a secondary school. Oh, my goodness. So, yes, I was over the moon excited. (laughs) I bet. (laughs) Well, it was a moment when they said he's graduating from both Wunschi and Spring High School. And you know how big the schools are down here compared to our high school. When I saw he graduated with 760 other kids. And normally with most autistic kids, you know, that many kids, he couldn't do it. He was not only mainstreamed, he was in ROTC and on Project Prom committee and just all this stuff because of the start he got with those programs. He graduated with ROTC honors and I was like sitting there going, without these programs, these kids wouldn't have that. And his aide from middle school and elementary school actually showed up at his graduation ceremony, which I was like... Oh my God. So yes, I know I'm crying, but (laughs) But those are happy tears. Very happy tears. You're a very proud mama there. Very proud mommy. (laughs) Now in college in the second year, he's taking a full course load, four classes. Thanks to COVID, two of them are online, but he's doing great. And he's just, ah, happy mommy. Yay. So good. Yay. Well, and you know, early intervention is so, so crucial to these kids. Early childhood intervention was awesome for him. So, yeah. And he's still one of their favorites. He still gets emails occasionally from his aides, you know, how you doing? How's things? And it's awesome. That's sweet. They should kind of hold Nicholas up as, you know, the poster kid of this is what can happen when it starts early enough. And you get through all the myths and the, the, the misinformation and everything else. This is yeah, what for, the, for the kids who are high functioning. Yes. You definitely don't have to rule any of those things out. I mean, it, it, yeah. it's something that you can try to work toward. Yes. Something and that you want to keep on that goal sheet. High functioning. It's still good to at least, you know, where you're starting from. Yes. You have something to start from. So that's right. Good. Well, and it's interesting, too, when you were talking about what flavor, quote unquote, yeah. <laughs> of autism they were going to name it, because they've actually changed how they diagnose autism now. I mean, we have our sons are about the same age. Mine is 19. Yeah. And so it was 17 years ago. And again, they really wasn't blasted out into the media like it is now. But when he was getting his diagnosis, there was autism, there was high-functioning autism, there was Asperger's, there was PDD, NOS. They had all these different labels. Yeah, different names for them. Now they label them as autism one, two, and three, with autism one being like the Asperger's and the most high-functioning, and then it just goes from there. So I just think it's interesting how they change things over the year. Yeah, it's always evolving, I guess. Yeah. Did he have any trouble in school making friends or doing social events? 
At the first, yeah, he's had this one friend. Her name is Devin. They've been best friends since kindergarten. He, she's his bodyguard, literally. <laughs> so we picked on Nicholas. They had to get through Devin to do it. And she's just this fierce, and still, they go to school together. And she's just, she's still. And he's got a couple of others, but he has friends as in, like, they know each other from school sort of thing. But as far as close friends... Not many. He's always been kind of a very private, kind of contained. Not he was never very social. Even with the autism thing, I don't. I think even without the autism thing, he would have been a much less social kid. You know, once he makes a friend, that's it. You're his friend. But as far as letting someone new in, yeah, I think part of the PDD was having to put himself out there. He can talk in public. He can make speeches. He was a Boy Scout. He graduated as Eagle Scout. You know, that was one of the bigger things. And he's got friends from Scouts and friends from ROTC and friends from high school and everything else, but it's a smaller circle. So it was rather difficult for him to make friends because they didn't exactly isolate him as a kid with autism, but kids know when someone's different and it's horrible, it's awful, I don't care for it. But I have to say, even as younger kids, I'm sure we weren't exactly, you know, model citizens when it came to someone's different. Let's not be friends with them because they're different. But with Nicholas, if kids didn't want to be his friend, well, as he put it, I asked him once and he said, it's their loss. I'm a great kid. Oh, I love that. He was like, come on, I can talk about comic books and everything else all day long. I'm wonderful. It's their fault if they don't want to get to know me. Very wise. That is a very wise young man. Very wise. I was sitting there going, but don't you? He goes, Mom, I have all the friends I need. I'm like, all right. Because the one thing you don't want to do with these kids is push them to where they're uncomfortable. So, Right. But yeah, with his scouts and with ROTC and with being at a normal high school, he made more friends than I thought he would. So That's really good. Sounds like he did pretty well through school and everything. He did. As his mom, what did you struggle with the most? in raising him and dealing with all the autism? With him, it was kind of like trying to figure out how to be in his world, be mm-hmm. part of that and still, because I, I have another kid, trying to transition from dealing with what he needed to dealing with what this other kid who up until six and a half years ago was a very normal, very social, very wanting to be out and about and doing all this and kind of having to sometimes drag Nicholas along into that world because, you know, William wants to go to the playground and, okay, Nicholas wants to stay home and play video games. Kind of having to deal with those two things. So I think part of the reason Nicholas did become a little more social was so he could still be with his brother. So I kind of basically figured out how to kind of separate the two and be the mom Nicholas needed versus being the mom William needed versus being the person I needed to be. And going through all that and having to accept the fact that there were going to be parts of Nick's world that I was never going to be able to get to. Like any kid, he's going to need to keep some part of himself separate. He's going to need to grow on his own. And I wasn't going to be part of that and having to figure out how do I do that? How do I accept his limitations and mine? and still try to get him past at least some of them. So that was pretty hard because every parent wants their kid to have the biggest, best, fullest life. And Nicholas does have that, but it's his version of his biggest, best, fullest life. 
it was hard for me to accept that there was going to be parts that he was never going to have, you know, things that were never going to be the way they were supposed to be. And that was hard. He was never going to play sports and play baseball. And we tried, by the way, um, not so much. (laughs) He was never going to come home with scabbed up knees. He was never going to hang out with his friends and break a window or something like I wasn't going to have on the plus side. Yes, I never had. Yeah. (laughs) But on the negative side, I was kind of looking forward to that. You know, the normal kid stuff. And then his brother came along and boy, did I stop wishing for that. Because you got it? Because <laughs> I got it in spades with his little brother up until the point. So it was hard. But on the other hand, I learned my kid has a great imagination. He is literally creating comic books for autistic kids that have the same problems he has. Oh, I love that. When he graduated, everybody's like, what do you want to do? And he wants to create computer games for kids with autism that still have all the action and all the adventure, but not as noisy, not as loud, mm-hmm. not as much flash and bang. He said, what I want to do is take the video games we have now and take some of it out, but keep the good stuff for the kids. So yeah. and he's writing comic books for kids that have this sort of thing where it's more dialogue based, more letting you picture it in your head instead of saying, this is what it has to do. Whereas with his, it's like, this is the base. Go with it. See where you take it. So that's kind of where his world is. And I'm happy that he lets me read his story. (laughs) (laughs) So he does that. And it's just amazing to me that this is something he wants to do. He wants to design video games for kids with autism and all the spectrum disorders, you know, from the low functioning to the high functioning. So yay. What a great idea. And what a fun project for him to take on too. Yes. So that's what he's actually studying in school. He wants to become a graphic artist so he can help with that sort of thing. So well, good. I hope he's successful with that. Cause I know a lot of kids who would really love that. Oh yeah. Your kid probably too, huh? Yes. <laughs> so dealing with everything you have with Nick and his diagnosis and meltdowns and things like that, how did that affect your marriage relationship or your family relationships? Well, family relationships, my mom came back into my life when Nicholas was about a year and a half old and she was with me for the whole diagnosis and everything else. So she was very supportive. My mom was my rock still is very much. So my dad and my stepmom and my sisters on that side were more distantly supportive because they lived in Washington. I live in Texas. They were more of the whole well, if anything major happens, let us know. Otherwise, let us live our lives. You've got that to deal with. And that's them. My sisters are much more supportive now that they started having kids, thankfully, so far. None of them have had to deal with this sort of thing. So I'm hoping that that stays the same. Not that I don't love my kids, but this diagnosis, not something I would wish on anybody. No. But for the most part, my family... On my mom's side, with my mom, has been incredibly supportive. My nephew thinks the world of both my kids. He's literally younger than William, so he's basically been at the tail end of all this. He was there after everything happened. So, But as far as my marriage, I'd love to say my son's diagnosis is the reason it ended. It's not. My ex-husband, for all his issues, none of them had to do with the kids' diagnoses. Neither one of the kids were the cause of our marriage breaking up. He was pretty easygoing about it. He pretty much just stood back and just accepted it, drove to the appointments, 
emotional support. He was there for the kids emotionally while they were still young and everything. So that did not have the bad effect on our marriage. I'd love to say it was. It was. <laughs> well, you know, there's such a high number of divorces that go on in, among oh, families yeah. with special needs. It's. I think it's because one parent has high hopes for, and I did have high hopes for my kids. I still do. I, but they're both great kids and they're both doing great. But some parents have these expectations of my child's going to be a football star and, and all this. And while I was so pregnant with Nick, I told my now ex-husband, I said, I just want them healthy and happy. And he agreed with me on that. And they are both healthy and happy kids. So there you as go. Far as that goes, I think we pretty much managed so we haven't talked about William yet much. Okay, so you've gone through all of this. Now, what's the age difference between Nick and William? Two and a half years, almost two and a half exactly. years. Nicholas was born in April of ninety-nine, and William was born September two thousand and one. So you have Nick, who has autism, mm-hmm. and William, who's a neurotypical child. Yes. And then something happened six years ago. Six and a half years ago, um, November second of. 2013. William was at a scouting event actually with his older brother. They're both Boy Scouts. They were at this thing called Campery where the older scouts invite younger scouts to come and see what the older scouts will be doing and what they'll be doing as they advance and they have rides and what have you. And one of them is, not anymore, thanks to my kid, (laughs) those inflatable bouncy houses where they strap you onto a bungee cord and you run against someone in the next lane and you see how far you can get before you get yanked back. William got yanked back into the armature and hit his head. Oh, um, no. He wasn't padded well enough. And he got out of the vest thing, walked off, said, my head hurts, and dropped. Oh, my goodness. Now, mind you, I was at home working that day. And luckily, there was an EMT and a doctor in line with their boys waiting. William was non-responsive. They said he wasn't breathing. He had a heartbeat, but he wasn't breathing. So they performed CPR, got him breathing. Got a hold of my in-laws who were there with him at the time, called an ambulance, got him to a hospital. They literally, right there at the community hospital, opened up his skull and found a brain bleed. By this time, I was at the hospital before they took him in for surgery. I got to see him. And you know, if you see your child strapped down and IVs and everything, and I just, I didn't lose it then. I had to keep it together because Nicholas was still there. And I didn't want Nicholas freaking out. So last thing I wanted was to deal with another meltdown when I was busy having an internal meltdown. And they did the brain surgery literally right there, got the brain bleed under control, and life flighted him to Memorial Hermann downtown. <sighs> At which point I got bundled into a car and practically raced the copter to the hospital. Yeah, I don't blame you. At the original hospital, the smaller one, luckily one of the top neurologists, neurosurgeons in the country was doing guest rounds there. So he's the one who actually performed the surgery, thankfully. Someone was watching out for my kid from up above, I'm telling you. What are the odds of that? Exactly, because this was Conroe Regional Medical Center. It was literally, basically, it has an operating room attached to it, but it was a local hospital. It was a dock in the box, basically, with an operating room attached. So life flighted in Memorial Hermann, and he's in a medically induced coma to stop the brain swelling. I got to see him that night and literally spent the next three days just basically sitting at the hospital, sleeping at the hospital. Ronald McDonald House had little hotel suites attached to the hospital that parents could stay in, so that's where we stayed. Big ups to them. Lovely people. 
made sure we ate. They brought food. They had counselors there to talk to us. And three days passed, and they told me, we're going to try and bring him out of it. We want you to come into the hospital room. And I'm standing at the end of his bed. And it's not dark, but it's afternoon. All the blinds are drawn. It's dark enough. They've got all the lights out. They said, we're going to bring him out of it. We want you to stand at the end of the bed. We want to see if he knows who you are. So I'm standing there. And my little boy has his head swaddled in bandages. IVs coming everywhere. They got the little braces to make sure he doesn't flail. And this is my little wiggle worm. You know, he's the kid who didn't stay put for anything. And he's so still and so quiet. And I'm so not used to seeing him like that. And they said, okay, mom, if you can't stop crying, we're going to have his dad come in and do it. I said, no, no, no. So I, mom up, as they say. <laughs> and I'm standing there and I'm looking at him. And they kind of bring him out and, and he kind of comes to and he's blanking and he kind of looks around and he looks at me. And mind you, he's thirsty because he's been drinking everything through a tube. And he kind of goes, oh, hi, mommy. I'm thirsty. I'm tired. What's going on? And I'm like, oh, nothing, baby. You, you hit your head and they're just making sure you're going to be staying put. He goes, okay, can I have a soda? <laughs> we, we'll see, honey. Right now, just some water, okay? And they go, I said, honey, the doctors need to check you out. Mommy's going to go wait outside. The doctors are going to check on you. And I'll be back in a few minutes when they tell me it's okay. They're just going to check your body, make sure everything's good. He goes, okay. I'm naked. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah, you kind of had to be, I'm sorry. He goes, mommy, what? He goes, I got something down there. Okay. It's to help so that you don't go in the bed. He goes, oh, okay. All right. <laughs> I go outside. And I start giggling and then I started crying and I sat down on the floor and just had my little mommy meltdown and yeah. called the dad, called the grandparents, called my mom. Told them he's awake. He recognizes me. Doctor comes out, kind of sits down on the floor across from me, and he goes, "Was that normal?" <laughs> oh my goodness! Well, what do you? Okay, he just woke up from a coma for three days. What do you mean? He goes, Does he "Talk that much normally?" Oh yes, <laughs> he's just like me. He talks a lot. He goes, "Well, good news. Far as I can tell." For the most part, we're going to, have to do some x-rays, MRIs, testing, things like that, functional MRIs. He seems like he's going to be okay. He knew who you were. And I said, what do you mean? He goes, we were worried he'd look at you and wonder who the hell you were. But the fact that he knows, no hesitation, he knows who you are. That's a very good thing. It means his long-term memory is intact. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> so what a weight off your I, shoulders. Oh, God. I... I went to a chapel first thing and just mm. was like, whoever did it, thank you, whoever. Because, you know, I'm an agnostic. I'm pretty much like, you know, but I was like, whoever did it up there, I don't care. Thank you for giving me back my reasonably normal kid. So Reasonably normal. I love that. That's what I call it. Um, he was diagnosed. He basically blew out the short-term memory center of his brain. You and I always joke we have no short-term memory. You know, we do. It's the thing that reminds us. Oh, you had this on your shopping list. Well, with William, his shopping list is blank sometimes. Now, one of the things they explained to me was because he was relatively young when he was injured, he was only 12. The brain finds a way to get around those little short circuits, builds new circuits. 
So he has kind of a uh, cobbled together short-term memory center. It's not as good as the original would be, but it works for the most part. We do go through a lot of post-it notes. When I tell him to clean up his room, I write down, bring out all your dirty clothes. Brings out his dirty clothes, I write, put away all your DVDs. There we go. And we have daily calendars in the house, things like that to remind him what he has to do chores-wise. But for the most part, he's pretty normal, reasonably normal. That's what we call it. So, How long did he stay in the hospital? Three and a half weeks. Oh, goodness. I bet he was ready to get home. He did outpatient therapy for two years. And it did cause some problems with school and everything. Mm-hmm. but he got into a really great program and graduated high school with a 3.5 GPA. Nice. Yes. Um, it was called Focus Academy in the Woodlands. They literally tagline their school as a place for quirky kids. Oh, I love that. You should. Oh, I'm hoping they open a branch up in Dallas for you. They ha- basically only deal with kids with emotional and brain disorders, literally autism, social anxiety disorders, things like that. That is all they deal with. So we definitely need more of those. Problem is the cost because it's a private school, but thanks to the lovely little lawsuit we had, William had a trust fund for his education. So that was taken care of. Otherwise he probably would have had to struggle through high school like he was before we found the program. Right. So now your boys are high school graduates. Ha! They're both still living at home. Nicholas lives with his grandmother, and William actually lives here with me. So, yes. What does life look like now for both of them? Like I said, Nicholas is taking classes in college. William is, we're waiting till this whole COVID thing is over before we try to get him a new job. But we also want to try and get him into a residential living thing. Oh, okay. So that he can learn a skill and learn how to live on his own. Because with him, it's more likely that he'll be able to do that. Okay. If you want to meet him, he's right here. William, you want to come say hi to my friend, Sherry? Hello. Hi, William. How are you doing? Good. Are you happy that you graduated high school? Yeah. (laughs) This is him in the morning, says Nia Chatty Kathy. (laughs) Okay, honey, go. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt your whatever you're doing. (laughs) Yes, you can't see it, but he has a hellacious scar. So you've had quite the adventure with your boys. <laughs> and then some, yes. We're having one kid with autism and with William having it just literally happen to him. It's kind of the weird part. Yeah. Yeah. So tell me, it sounds like things are a little bit easier now as they, I think they <laughs> tend to be sometimes as our kids get yeah. older, but thinking back through everything that you've gone through with your boys, when the stress and the overwhelm and everything just gets piled on, when all that just gets to be a little bit too much, what do you do to recharge so you can keep going and taking care of them? Well, I know the joke answer. I was about to say it's 80 proof and sitting on the shelf. (laughs) That's more for normal level because I found out, I did try for a little while to kind of blanket it with that, and it made me a worse mom, and I couldn't Mm. do that. You can't function and dull yourself. I thought about it. I took one day of dealing with that afterwards. I just realized, no, I need to be present for it, especially when it happened with William. With Nicholas, it was more of a gradual oncoming thing. With William, it was, boom, happened. Deal with it now. Literally like a bomb set off in my house. So... I read 
if I really get too much, I go sit in my room. I pick a book that has absolutely nothing to do with anything going on outside, mm -hmm. a little fantasy novel, something, and I go sit with that. But that doesn't always do it. Now that my kids are older, I can take a walk if it gets to be too much. I walk down to the botanical gardens and let nature recharge me. When they were younger, I would, <laughs> I can't believe I used to do this. I have a lot of plants and flowers outside. Mm -hmm. And when we lived in a house, I had a yard, I would go out and weed the flower beds. Each weed I'd yank up would be another thing. Your kids are weird. Fing. Why aren't you being a better mom? Fing. And you should, if you'd been a better mom, this wouldn't have happened. Fing. And just, mm, that sort of. I like that form of therapy. I like it. Yes, it is. Because you're not hurting anybody. You're not hurting yourself. So I'd plug in my MP3 player, put in my earbuds. I'd make sure the kids were occupied by their dad or something else. And I'd go out and I'd weed the lawn or I'd mow the, oh, mowing the grass. Because <laughs> you can cuss. You, if you're mowing it, nobody can hear you over it. <laughs> you're mowing the grass, you can get some serious swear and anxiety going. Just okay. call me an unfit because my kids said autism. Why is your kid acting weird? And you should really, you can get some very good therapy going with that. Yeah. Whatever it takes, right? Whatever it takes. Or angry cleaning. Yes. Scrubbing the floors when you're yes. annoyed. I understand that. I stress clean. Yes, because you're doing something productive, but you're getting that just energy out of your system. And it is amazing how empty your house can get when you say, okay, everybody, time to clean. <laughs> clear out a house in 30 seconds or less my husband would take the kids to the mall to the park anything to get out of cleaning i'd get the house to myself turn the music all the way up and just scrub the floor scrub the soap scrub the toilets the bath they come home to a clean house and i'd be a happy quiet <laughs> there you go it's so weird that that's where our brains go why it's constructive and by god you will Get that emotion. <laughs> you, know, you know what I like about the cleaning and the weeding is it's instant gratification. Oh, yes. Yes. Like you I just made a difference and I could see it. But the weeding, <laughs> name the weeds after your problems. I'm going to have to try that. Oh, Get yeah. your sunscreen and aloe and water and every weed you pull up, shred it too. I used to do that. I'd pull the weeds up and shred them as I was pulling them. Because mm. it's that snotty store clerk who didn't understand why your son was having a fit because they didn't have blue jello. Yes. Or that new uh, neighbor who wants to know why your kids are doing this. None of your business. Just spread the weeds. It's that person who tells you just to spank your kids and then they'll oh, listen. Or what'd you do while you were pregnant? Yes. My favorite one is the people who tell you, well, if your child is hungry enough, they'll eat that. No, they no. won't. <laughs> no, they won't. <laughs> I mean, but. What are some of your favorite moments in dealing with all of this with both of your boys? What are the things that, that really just spark joy in you? When Nicholas gets excited about Marvel and DC Comics, his passion is so awesome. I guess as much as he loves to talk about it, and I say this with love, after a while. <laughs> I just want to say pick something else to talk about please for the love of God pick something else but his joy and excitement in there kind of underlies that because I'm just happy yes. we used to go to Comic Palooza every year you do um, fan days what's it called a, up in Dallas 
Yes, the one the fan expo and fan days in, day, in Dallas. Palooza. And his dad used to be one of the production people in that. A few years ago, he got to meet Stan Lee. <gasps> he did. Yes, he did. Stan Lee came to Comic Palooza, and because Mike was in charge of guest relations, he brought his kit, and Nicholas talked about it for weeks. Because Stan Lee not only spent time talking to Nicholas, but told him, when you're ready to publish, send it to this guy. <gasps> wow. Because Stanley was very much about all-inclusive comedy. He wanted everybody. Oh, yeah. And when he found out that my son, who was on the autism spectrum, wanted to make comic books for this, he's like, I never thought of it. Call this guy when you're ready to publish. We'll help. Oh, that's amazing. I'm ready to publish. He, he's got it in at Marvel. That is, it does not get better than that for well, comic no, book. Well, Nicholas and William, they were just like, ah, because for weeks. Seeing Nicholas's joy in getting to talk to someone who understands his yes. comic book love and seeing that that, knowing that that guy didn't sit there and say, oh, well, it's just money for me that Stanley appreciated what Nicholas wanted to bring to it and endorsed it and embraced what Nicholas wanted to do. That I will always, may he rest in peace. I will always be grateful to Stanley. Yes. It would have been great just for him to say, yeah, do it. You know, encouraging him. That would have been impressive, but for him yes. to actually go a step yes. farther yeah. and give him a tool to help him down the road is. Exactly. And when Nicholas amazing. said, well, I also want to do, uh, do, do video games and Stan's like, that's not going to stop you from this. Come on, we'll do more. Mm. We'll because Marvel does video games too. So Marvel yeah. licenses the video games. He goes, we'll get your character in a video game and everything else. I'm like, oh, mm. love you, Stan. That was the big one for Nicholas. Uh, for William, even though we had to do it online, seeing him graduate from high school. Yes. After everything, after trying this high school and and this program and. He started in Focus Academy in February of 2016 and graduated three and a half years later. Good and time. him graduating high school, well, first when they told me he's going to be able to graduate on time, and then they said, oh, by the way, he's got a 3.5 GPA. He's got a what? <laughs> it's like, awesome. He graduated, and he graduated with good grades. That was my awesome moment i mean i've had a few others william waking up from the coma and saying mommy hi mommy that was <sighs> that was an amen moment though more than yes. a yay sort of thing that he graduated high school that was the big one so far those are the biggest both of my boys nicholas graduating high school nicholas becoming an eagle scout he had to give a speech in front of about 50 people and he did it with no hesitation just Good walked for him. A five-minute speech about what Boy Scouts meant to him. And afterwards, he was actually crying because he was happy. Aww. And seeing him be able to express those emotions, as you know, with our kids, that emotion thing gets very hard for him. But he was happy, and he had that little half-smile on his face. And just when he graduated high school and seeing him walk across that stage for Nicholas – and graduating with the rest of the normal kids. That was big. And then William doing his little graduation online this past May, just, that, that was the big, those are the big ones. The ones where you're sitting there going, I'm a good mom. Yes. <laughs> I can do this. <laughs> we have done it. We have climbed the mountaintop. 
I know I have more, but we hit that peak. We got them. They're adults. Yes. You did we it, did Mama. It. Yes. We, the family, did it. So, oh. So I have one last question to any of the families listening that maybe just got their diagnosis or they're still early on in their journey with special needs or medically fragile children, whatever it may be. What advice or encouragement would you like to give them? First off, take time for yourself. You've got to take care of yourself. You've got to give yourself that 10 minute bubble bath, a heck 10 minute shower of doors shut window, you know, and just, if you've got to cry in the shower, hey, take your 10 minutes and have your meltdown in the shower. Or going outside on the back porch patio, go put yourself in the car, drive to the store, stop in the parking lot, keep the car running, turn the radio all the way up, scream, yell, cry, do what you got to do. I'm not saying you can't let your kids see that you are struggling too, but when it gets to be too much, you got to step away. But it's going to make you feel better if you take that time for yourself. You've got to be a whole person for your kids. You can't do that if you don't take care of yourself because you're going to feel like you're drowning sometimes. You're going to feel like end of the rope, tie a knot, but the knot is slipping. Tie another knot. You gotta because you're going to feel not 100% better first couple of times. I'm going to say maybe 25%, but you're eventually going to get to that better. It's never going to be normal. But then again, like they say, normal is a setting on that washing machine, not for life. Yes. And there was this great author, Irma Bombeck, and she had this book called Motherhood, the Second Oldest Profession. And there was a chapter in it about how God picks moms to become mothers of, and this was back in the 70s and 80s, pardon me for using the phrase, handicapped kids. How does God pick them? And he was listing them off and guardian angels and all this. And he said, give her a handicapped child. But God, she, she's not going to be able to handle it. She's just selfish enough. And the angel goes, what do you mean selfish? If she can't separate herself from her kid, they're both going to drown. She's got to be selfish enough to step away from her child once in a while. And he said, what about a guardian angel? And he goes, a mirror will suffice. Yeah. She followed that up with another chapter about a mom who has a kid with Down syndrome. And she said, I'm tired of people telling me God never gives you more than you can handle because he overshot the field. I'm drowning here. I can't deal with this. It's just, it's too much. God gave me too much. And her sister had been the one who gave it to her. She said, look, call me when you need a timeout. I'll be there. And her sister goes, yeah, yeah, I'll be fine tomorrow. I haven't had my coffee yet. She's her sister. She picks up her kid and they, she looks in the mirror with her kid. And she goes, just say something. Just tell me that you see who I am. And her kid makes eye contact. It sees her. And she goes, no one would believe me if I said it, but he called me mama with his eyes. Um. And she goes back at the kitchen and looks at that um, column that her sister printed out. And she goes, maybe there was something to it. And I think we got picked for a reason. But that reason... Is it always made clear to us? But when we look into our kids' eyes and they see us and they know us and they recognize that love that we have for them and that they have for us, look into your kids' eyes, guys, because that's where it's going to be. That's where the reason for this. They may not be able to tell you that they love you, but you will see it in their eyes. 
that they know that that love is there and that your love is there for them and their love is there for you and that's the best part that's the advice that's just beautiful Callie thank you so much for sharing that I, I, I know and we're both crying now oh, <laughs> but let your kids see the love. Let them see that you're a you that you are human, but let them see the love that's underneath it too. Yeah. Tell them you love them, even if they don't say it back. They know that it's there, and they feel it, and you're gonna feel it too. So. Yeah. I read that book again after I became a mom because when before you become a mom, all those books about motherhood are pretty much, yeah, I, I'll do it different. I'll do it better. It, that book was written something like 35, almost 40 years ago, and I still can't read that section without bursting into tears because it's a little something to that miracle part. And for me, it was the miracles don't always come with flashes and trumpets and angels coming down because, frankly, I think we'd all be a little worried if they did. <laughs> but uh, when your autistic child makes eye contact with you for the first time, or you see your kid walking there and graduating high school. Those are those miracles. The quiet little ones. Those are the ones that you need to look for. So that's the advice. Look for the little miracles, you know. Him recognizing you and waving at you. That's what you need to look for more than anything. So. Oh, Neef. Oh. That was so good, Kelly. Thank <laughs> you. Thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome. It was a pleasure. And Kelly, thank you so much for giving us a glimpse into your life and to Nick and William. And you are definitely, <laughs> definitely the right person to be with those boys. They yeah. are turning out so well and you should be so proud of yourself. I, I'm proud of them too. They wouldn't have, they put up with it. So thank you for having me on. It's been awesome. I'm so honored that you picked me. Thank you. And I wish you all the best. I'd like to thank everyone for listening today. You can find all the links and show notes for today's episode at anamazingtheordinarylife.com slash podcast. If you enjoyed the show, I'd love it if you left a review and be sure to subscribe so you don't miss out on future episodes. As always, I would love to hear your story. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest on the show, contact me at my website or you can email me at amazinglyordinary at yahoo.com. You definitely don't want to miss next week's episode where I'll be talking with Barry Eggleston. He'll be sharing an honest look at what it means to give up on the dreams that you had for your child and have to rebuild them from scratch. I hope you'll join me then.